this morning. We covered um, our first presentation, the hard issue behind turning tragedy into triumph. And here is what I believe to be one of the most valuable and most powerful most powerful statements that is so valid the closer we get to Christ's return. Character building is the most important work ever entrusted to human beings, and never before was its diligent study so important as now. Never was any previous generation called to meet issues so momentous. Never before were young men and young women, by the way, and I might mention old men and older women, never before were young men and young women confronted by perils so great as confront them today. And of course, as we learned this this morning, the closer we get to Christ's return, the greater the challenges, the greater the, the struggles in the human experience, and we want to be prepared and ready to be able to meet the time of trouble in peace. This session, we're actually going to consider what I believe to be the most vital elements in the development of a character that will stand faithful to Christ through the last great crisis for the people of God. Now let me recap a little bit. If you remember from our first session, here is the big issue about developing character, developing habits of response to life's trials and challenges before the crisis hits. Science now is telling us that when we become emotionally charged, as in the fight or flight response, the RAS, that's a reticular activating system as a part of the brain, that actually switches on and off between the frontal lobe and the limbic system. That RAS actually shuts down the cerebral cortex, the thought processes or learning brain. For all practical purposes, when the cortex is shut down, we proceed on automatic pilot, where instinct and training take over. So when the overwhelming surprise comes, the body's stress response to a sudden unexpected threat shuts down the administrative activities of the frontal lobe as the limbic system responds to the surprise threat from habits that have been formed in previous responses to daily circumstances of life. This is extremely valuable when we recognize from Patriarchs, Prophets and Kings 626 that Christians should be preparing for what is soon to break upon the world as an overwhelming surprise. Very, very important. This is what Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 60, says. The season of temptation under which it may be one falls into grievous sin does not create the evil that is revealed, but only develops or makes manifest that which was hidden and latent in the heart. Example, Peter with Jesus before Jesus was taken in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows twice. Peter said, I'll never, never deny you. Nevertheless, when the surprise came and the mob came to get Jesus, 
What an interesting thing to see what was really in Peter's heart come out. And him and the rest of the disciples flee. Very, very valuable and important to recognize um, from our first session that the preparation for the time of trouble such as never was has got to be going on now. So when the overwhelming surprise comes, the response, the natural response, is actually coming from habits of Christ. Here's the victorious healing cycle of life that everyone is in. Again, recapping what we learned the first session. Um, When we have a healing, knowledgeable love relationship with Christ through his word, that actually strengthens and affects the way we view life circumstances. That produces healthy perceptions about life circumstances, wholesome Christ-like thoughts and feelings, which then, of course, translates into a more wholesome lifestyle, more godly responses, including care for our body, our mind, the choices of food, the way we care for the temple of the Holy Spirit. And of course, the healthier our lifestyle, the healthier our brain function becomes, which then, with healthier brain function, actually improves my love relationship with Christ through his word. My brain is sharper, able to connect and grasp what the Spirit of God is teaching me. And here you have a a victorious healing cycle. We looked at the vicious cycle, um, unhealthy relationship with the Lord, unhealthy perceptions about life responses, unhealthy godly responses to those life circumstances, which causes the brain function to get more (laughs) unhealthy. And of course, we want, instead of that vicious cycle, we want a victorious cycle of healing. Amen? This is all about being ready for Christ's soon return. But even more than that, it's all about being ready for that time of trial. We know from prophets and kings that we are to be preparing now for the overwhelming surprise that will soon break upon the world. There it is again. Christians should be preparing for what is soon to break upon the world as an overwhelming surprise. And this preparation they should make by diligently studying the word of God and striving to conform their lives to its precepts. The tremendous issues of eternity demand of us something besides an imaginary Religion, very important. So, from that statement, we've got, we discovered two things. Two of the elements essential for healthy preparation for the time of trouble are, number one, a diligent study of the Word of God, which I'm very, very grateful I'm hearing from everyone else who's presenting, and number two, faith-filled practice of confronting our lives Conforming, excuse me, conforming our lives to its precepts. In other words, the practice of Christ-loving responses to the circumstances of life we face. All right, little recap. We've just kind of covered what we were looking at in the first session. Here's Christ's promise to us as we now start moving forward into the essential elements to being ready. Besides diligent study of the Word of God, besides Conforming our lives to its precepts, we've got another one coming up. Christ promised to us, Revelation 3, 10 and 11, because you have kept the word of my promise, 
I also will keep you from the hour of temptation that shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Praise God, because I've what? I've kept the word of his promise. This is very important, very vital. And of course, 1 John 2, 5 and 6 tells us, But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby, this is the way we know that we are in him. He that saith he abides in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Now, here comes the clincher. To walk as Jesus walked. To respond to life circumstances the way Jesus responded to life circumstances. I've got to practice responding to life situations the way he did while he was here on earth. This is absolutely vital. It's important to remember that in order to walk as Jesus walked, responding to people in life like he did, a person must practice thinking what Jesus thinks. Why? Because our responses to life proceed out of the abundance of the heart. Luke 6.45, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil, for of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Very, very important. Philippians 2.5, I'm beginning to understand a little bit more why we've got these statements in the Word of God. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. To have Christ's mind is to have his thoughts, which prepares a person to experience his responses to people and life events. I should just mention to you, some of you maybe are Greek scholars or whatever, but the, but the, the, the word let there, actually when you parse it, when you analyze it, tells us something very unique. It is actually in the present tense, it's a present participle, and what it means is in present tense in Greek, not only something that happens contemporary at this moment, but it also means a continued action an ongoing repeated event. So what this is saying is, form the habit, continually practice letting the mind of Christ be in you. Very, very, very vital. Testimonies, volume 9, page 88. The professed follower of Christ must not be led by the dictates of his own will. His mind must be trained to think Christ's thoughts and enlightened to comprehend the will and the way of God. Our mind must be trained to think his thoughts. It doesn't come naturally. It's something that has to be learned. Uh, there's uh, something that we don't want to forget. Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, before the disciples' darkest hour with him, our Jesus was pleading with them to watch and pray. Why was he pleading with them to watch and pray? Because he knew what was coming, and he knew that we respond to life circumstances out of the habits of response we formed previous to the trial. Why do we know? How do we know that the, the proof that Christ's counsel really works? What was Jesus doing in the garden? He was praying and watching. By the way, it was dark out. He couldn't see anything. 
So the watching was going here. That's where the watching was going on. It was going on in his thinking. Now, everybody's talking about diligent study of the word. Praise God. But I think there's, there's another element that is absolutely vital for anybody who wants to be truly prepared to meet the crisis healthfully and victoriously. Another key element absolutely vital to our experience that actually makes our Bible study and our prayer and life practice effectual in preparing us for the crisis ahead. Here it is, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, there it is. For the love of Christ constraineth us. In the Greek, the love of Christ controls me, the love of Christ compels me, it's my motivating factor. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, that's Jesus, then we're all dead. We all were dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, 1. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. But what was motivating, what was motivating me? The love of Christ. Love of Christ is the only motivation that will keep me faithful and true when Jesus, before Jesus returns. Why is this such a key element? This, this love factor? Testimonies, volume 5, page 135. The deep love of God alone will sustain the soul amid the trials which are just upon us. This is so amazing to me. The scribes and Pharisees knew the Bible very well. The devil and his angels know the Bible very well. They know it way better than we ever will on this earth. However, scribes and Pharisees crucified the master. However, the devil and his angels are out to destroy God's people and God's work. The deep love alone, love of God alone will sustain the soul. Here's another one. Heavenly Places, page 87. We must have such a love for Jesus that we will consider it a privilege to suffer and even die for his sake. This is not a small matter. This is a big matter in preparing. And here is our danger. Second Timothy talking about what it's going to be like, not only in the world, but in the church. In the final scenes of verse history, this know also that in the last days... Perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of who? Their own selves. And verse 5, at the end of that long list of things that come from love for self, at the end we see having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Here is the danger. It is love of self that destroys our peace. While self is alive, we stand ready continually to guard it from mortification and insult. But when we are dead to self, and our life is hid with Christ in God, we shall not take the neglects or slights to heart. We shall be deaf to reproach and blind to scorn and insult. Let me ask you something. In the final scenes of earth's history, in the time of trouble, when when this small body of believers who are just being faithful to God's word and faithful to the Sabbath, this small, when everybody's against them, let me ask you something. Do I want my life hid in self or in Christ? Amen. 
because we'll be, we'll be experiencing neglect and slight, reproach, scorn, insult, etc., etc., etc. And there's only one power in the universe that can overcome love for self. Only one power in the universe, and that is love for Christ, the one who lived and died for us. No other. For the love of Christ constrains us, it compels us, it controls us, it motivates us. And what does it motivate us to do? Notice what it says, that they should not henceforth live for themselves, but unto him which died, and died for them and rose again. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. There they are, the two powers that are vying for our hearts. Love for Christ or love for self. Our need, heavenly places. Notice the two powers here. We need to die to self and in mind and heart to cherish an adoring love for our Savior. Now here's what's so dangerous about self that quite often we don't think about. In outward appearance, Love for self is able to exhibit many of the same words and actions that love for Christ expresses. Steps to Christ, page 58. It is true that there may be an outward correctness of deportment without the renewing power of Christ, the love of influence, the desire for the esteem of others may produce a well-ordered life. Self-respect may lead us to avoid the appearance of evil. A selfish heart may perform generous actions. The lips may express a poverty of soul that the heart does not acknowledge. While speaking to God of poverty of spirit, the heart may be swelling with conceit of its own superior humility and exalted righteousness. Does everybody get the danger? The danger is that self can exhibit many of the same outward actions that love for Christ can. The danger, they can keep a person blinded to the true condition of his heart until the crisis of life hits. And then self appears in all of its dangerous reality. Patsy and I, in our work here the last 10, 11 years at the Black Hills with individuals who've come with health problems, we've seen an, a steady increase. When people, when we were there 10, 11 years ago, um, people were coming for a nice health vacation, you know, to just um, have a healthy vacation, enjoy the time in the Black Hills, and, and that was it. Very few mental and spiritual challenges. But we have just seen a steady increase in mental and spiritual struggles um, through the years we've been there. You know what Jesus said in Matthew 21, 26, where he said, um, in the final scenes, men's hearts would be failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming upon the earth. And we're just seeing that in our experience with people. Now we have people coming who are physically sick because of their spiritual and mental struggles. Um, very, very interesting most of them did not realize what they were doing until the crisis of life hit. And all of a sudden, self bubbles out. 
Uh, there's the experience of Peter denying Christ, but notice what Desire of Ages uh, tells us. We saw this in the last session. When Peter said he would follow his Lord to prison and to death, he meant it, every word of it, but he did not know himself. Hidden in his heart were elements of evil that circumstances would fan into life. Catch that? Hidden in the heart. Unless he was made conscious of his danger, these would prove his eternal ruin. The Savior saw in him a self-love and assurance that would overbear even his love for Christ. I'm so grateful that even in daily life, in our daily lives, God allows circumstances, like God allowed Peter, that actually reveals to us what really needs to be changed in our life, right? Your response, my response to the circumstances of life that I face, my response actually is revealing to me, like it did to Peter, my area of growth. By the way, the Lord did say that this danger would lurk in his end-time church. You remember the message to Laodicea, right? Because thou sayest, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and what? Not aware of what lies hidden and latent in the heart. Not aware. This is so amazing. This is so vital. Love for Christ. Now here's the challenge that we face in dealing with the problem of self-love as compared to having love for Christ in its purity. Christ Object Lessons, page 159, has this statement. No man can empty himself of self. It is not something that I can accomplish by myself. And here's the solution. We can only consent for Christ to accomplish the work. The sentence right after the previous one. No man can empty himself of self. He can only consent for Christ to accomplish the work. Vital in order to be ready to face the time of trouble. What kind of prayer will resonate in the heart of someone desiring Christ to accomplish the work of freeing them from self-love and filling them with the motivating love of our self-sacrificing Savior? What kind of prayer? Well, here's one example. Psalms 123, some of you know it very, very well. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. You know what's so interesting about this? That word way, if you look it up in a Strong's Concordance, look up the word way, the Hebrew word, you know what it means? A well-worn path or a habit pattern. Search me, O God, and try Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked habit in me and lead me in the habit everlasting. We looked at, in last session, 21 MR 230, it tells us it is by learning the habits of Christ, his meekness, his lowliness, that self becomes transformed. And into what kind of daily experience will the Holy Spirit draw a person? 2 Corinthians 13.5 Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. 
Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you except to be reprobates? Look at that closely and tell me. Is someone willing to just respond by looking at this? I know that the, the dinner's been delicious and everything, but look at closely. Um, what am I examining? What am I looking for when I examine myself? Anybody see it there? Whether we're really in the faith, and according to that verse, look closely at that verse, what evidence are we looking for that is showing us whether or not we're in the faith? What evidence? Whether Christ is in you. And so, get this. When we examine our hearts, because we're examining our hearts, that's where Jesus wants to live. Amen? This is not a comparison of my words and actions with another human beings. But an examination of the thoughts of my own heart with the Savior's life example. 2 Corinthians 10.12 says, We must not. How does it go? 2 Corinthians 10.12 For we must not compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. For they... Measuring themselves amongst themselves, comparing themselves by themselves are not wise. No comparison with another human being. No, there's only one. We're examining in the life of Christ. Notice what it says, Christ Object Lessons 159. The only, in only one way can a true knowledge of self be obtained. We must behold Christ. No other way. In other words, the only way the heart motivation behind my responses to life can be transformed and sealed from the love of self into love for God is by beholding the character of God in the life of Christ. In only one way. This is it. There it is again. In only one way can a true knowledge of self be obtained. We must behold Christ. I can't emphasize that enough. Not only for you, but for me. There it is, 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with open face. I like that, open face. Just like a little child peeking through a window looking at the snow outside in Florida. Just very, very important. Beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. Um, for those of you who want to write this down, uh, God's glory, Moses coming down from the mount, saw the Israelites dancing around the golden calf, smashed the tablets of stone, went down and dealt with the Israelites, and after the dust was settled, he comes back to God and he says, God, are you still with me? Ask God a question. He says, Lord, show me your glory. And the Lord says, I'm going to make all of my goodness pass before you. I'm going to proclaim my name before you. And then in Exodus 34, God declares his character of love. God's glory is his character. And so when we are looking as in a glass at the character of the Lord, what's happening to us, everyone? We're being to change in what way? From the old glory, the old Dan, 
to the new new Dan, new Christ-like. Amen? Another Dan. Yep. There it is, Sabbath School Worker, July 1, 1894. The glory of God is his character, and it is manifested to us in Christ. Therefore, it is by beholding Christ, by contemplating his character, by learning his lessons, by obeying his words, that we become changed into his likeness. Isn't that beautiful? I love it. We are so gifted with the inspiration God has given us. And that's the reason why studying the life of Christ is such a vital element to preparation. Besides hiding God's word in your hearts, besides diligently studying so you know the doctrines, by the way, which are all pictures of the character of God. Besides prayer, to make sure that we are taking time to study the life of Christ in particular, because he's the one who came to show us what God was really like. What do you think? Love of self must be overruled and transformed by the love of Christ in order for anyone to stand faithful to God to the very end. No way to get around it. I can be the most wonderful theologian. I can have the most wonderful ministry doing wonderful things for God. But it can come from a love for who? It's got to be transformed. Because in the final scenes of earth's history, we're going to be, I'm going to show you this. Got to show you this. Here's the big, and I'll do it in black. I don't know if it'll come out on the... Ah. You'll have to... Motivations. Here we have... Um, there's two major motivations that Spirit of Prophecy brings out, two major, mo- major motivations that move people um, in their responses to life. One is to avoid pain and discomfort. I'm not going to give you the statements right now if you're interested, um, see me afterwards. But one is avoiding pain and discomfort. Yo, I've got a pain. What do I got to do to... The other one? Gain pleasure and happiness. Those are the two major motivators that move um, people's hearts. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with these... They were the original design. God never intended for us to have any pain or discomfort. Amen? Amen. He intended for us to have nothing but pleasure and happiness. Psalm 1611, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Original design. But because of what sin has done to human nature, now things are warped where we are trying to seek pleasure and happiness outside of God's will. And of course, that causes damage. Or we're trying to avoid pain and discomfort outside of God's will, and it causes more pain and discomfort. Are you following? Now let me ask you, if I am motivated both of these now because of the damage of sin, we call it love for self. That's the motivation behind these. This is so amazing. Let me ask you a question. If I am habitually motivated 
but to avoid pain and discomfort, in the time of trouble, what am I going to do? Am I going to stay faithful to Jesus? I won't. It's too painful. I'm going to have to bow down and accept whatever to get out of it. Or what if I'm um, moved by pleasure and happiness and I can't get to Walmart anymore? Someone took my card away. The only motivation that will keep me faithful to the Master in the final scenes of earth's history is love for Jesus, love for Christ, nothing else. And that's what moves me to glorify God even when it looks like everything's lost, when the chips are down and everything's against me. Love for Christ is the only thing that will keep me. What do you say? Love of self or love of Christ? In order to stay faithful to the very end, I've got to be filled with the love of Christ. Nothing less. Servants of God are to prepare no set speech to present when brought to trial for their faith. Their preparation is to be made day by day by treasuring up in their hearts the precious truths of God's word. There's the 28 fundamental beliefs. Praise God. Amen. Whoa, awesome. We need them. And over here we've got this prayer through prayer strengthening their faith. Amen. Bible study and prayer. Got it? Yes. But I'm looking here and I'm going, well, what is this all about? Feeding upon the teaching of Christ. Anybody tell me what it is? Why must I feed upon the teaching of Christ? Because by beholding, we become changed. That is, that's the key to actually having love of self being transformed and moved into love for God and God alone. Does that make sense? Vital. Study day and night. Look at this, that I may know him. Page 56. Study day and night the character of Christ. It was his tender compassion, his inexpressible, unparalleled love for your soul that led him to endure all the shame, the revilings, the abuse, the misapprehensions of earth. Praise God. Now guess what? It is love for Christ that is going to empower us to endure the shame, the revilings, the abuse, the misapprehensions of the earth here in a short time. The time of trouble. Review and Herald. Every soul who is seeking to become a joint heir with Jesus Christ must consider that his special work during this testing period is to study the character of Christ and conform to that character. He cannot do this in his own strength, but through the abundant grace given of God, daily improvement will be made. In the word, studying the life of Christ. By beholding, we become what, everyone? This heart, motivation of love for Christ is what moves a person to the best of their ability and resources to get in and stay in a healthful three-dimensional cycle of life, which actually is preparing you, developing habits, Christ's habits in your life, that is preparing you to face the time of trouble faithfully, peaceably, victoriously. There it is. Love of Christ It's the added element that must be in my experience 
So here's God's preparation plan. I'm going to do this in two steps, and we're done. And then I've got, we, we'll have questions. Number one, preparation plan, simplified. Number one, by faith daily invite Christ to be your Savior and Lord. To take your heart and live there by his Holy Spirit. Daily, not just once a week or on Sabbath mornings. Daily. Lord Jesus, I want you to take my heart. Uh, you're my Savior. It's my choice. Help me. Here's the heartfelt prayer of men and women, young and old, who are longing for their heart's motivation to be transformed into and sealed with the love of Christ. Here it is from Christ Object Lessons 159. The prayer that will be in the heart of someone who wants to be emptied of self. Lord, take my heart, for I cannot give it. It is thy property. Keep it pure, for I cannot keep it for you. Save me in spite of myself, my weak, unchristlike self, and mold me and fashion me and raise me into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich current of your love can flow through my soul. It's the only thing. And number two, by faith in our lovely Savior, daily practice staying in a willing position to cooperate with the Holy Spirit's work of transforming the motivation of your heart from self-love to undying love for Christ. It's something you've got to learn. It's something you've got to practice. It's not something that comes natural. Now, this is two steps. Staying in such a moldable heart position includes two things. A, it includes setting aside some time every day to behold, prayerfully study the life of Christ. You can study the Bible and study your Sabbath school lesson and, and study the doctrines and all of that stuff. But make sure that you're taking some time to actually be in the very life of Christ, studying his life. 6 BC, 1098, Bible Commentary, Volume 6. Beholding Christ means studying his life as given in his word. No substitutes. It would be well for us to spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of the life of Christ. I'm beginning to understand why. We should take it point by point and let the imagination grasp each scene, especially the closing ones. As we thus dwell upon his great sacrifice for us, our confidence in him will be more constant. Our love will be quickened and we shall be more deeply imbued with his spirit. I want that. How about you? Amen. Can't live without it, particularly what we, we know is coming. Councils and diets, foods, of all things. Make the life of Christ your constant study and labor as he did following his example. I hope I'm making my point. His point. Now, here's the second part of keeping yourself in a position for the Spirit of God to keep transforming your motivation. See every circumstance of your daily life as a God-allowed, God-filtered opportunity to practice the mind of Christ. 
to practice thinking his thoughts about your situation. Practice walking as he walked, responding his way to that type of situation. Do you know why I say God allowed and God filtered? Nothing could touch you except by God's permission. And all things that are permitted work together for for those who love who? Ooh. Love God. Interesting. I'm going to paint you a picture and then we'll move on. The devil hates you. True or false? Hates me. He throws a thousand pounds at you. Thousand pound weight. It's a circumstance that he knows if, if you take it full brunt, it will crush you, it'll destroy you, it'll destroy your life. God filtered. We are surrounded by Christ's presence. We're covered with his robe of righteousness. Amen? Isaiah 61.10. Jesus sees that thousand pounds coming at you. He puts up his hand. That thousand pound temptation hits him. He, and he takes the brunt of it. And he takes 999.99 thousandths of that temptation, that, that trial. And he allows just enough to come through his fingers so that you and I have something to practice trusting him with, to exercise our faith with, to actually practice the mind of Christ, to actually practice responding like Jesus. Make sense? I'll give you more, but that's why I say God allowed, God filtered. Here it is, actually from Ministry of Healing 479 and Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 71. I want you to see it. The Father's presence encircled Christ, and nothing befell him but that which infinite love permitted for the blessing of the world. Here was his source of comfort. And it is for us. He who is imbued with the Spirit of Christ abides in Christ. Whatever comes to him comes from the Savior. What? Who surrounds him with his presence. Nothing can touch him except by the Lord's permission. All our sufferings and sorrows, all our temptations and trials, all our sadness and griefs, all our persecutions and privations, in short, all things work together for our good. All experiences and circumstances are God's workmen whereby good is brought to us. I'm going to bring it to a close, I think, hopefully. How does a person know whether or not their heart is being transformed and moved by the love of Christ? Anybody have any idea? Good for you. Good for you. Your words were found, Lord. And I ate them. I just love it. I just, I'm just eating it up. Ever heard that phrase? I'm eating it up. Your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Not something I just do on Sabbaths. Not something I do once a day, you know. Read a quick devotional out the door. 
No. Joy and rejoicing in my heart all day long. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. And here it is, precious sister, Steps to Christ, page 58. Who has the heart? With whom are our thoughts? Of whom do we love to talk about? Who has our warmest and our, our warmest affections, our best energies? If we are Christ, our thoughts are with him, our sweetest thoughts are of him. All we have in ours is consecrated to him. We long to bear his image, breathe his spirit, do his will, and please him in all things. Was this the scribe and Pharisees' hearts? Wasn't. And certainly not the devil and his angels. No, this is the heart of someone. This is an indicator of someone who's in that position to let the Spirit of God transform love of self to love for Christ. What about attitude and actions? The love of God in the soul, and this is the kicker. Um, and this one, for those of you who are counselors or whatever, this is, a, this is in a nutshell, this is it. Um, it's actually taken from My Life Today, page 99, several other spots, but here it is. The love of God in the soul the heart motivation will have a direct influence upon the life and will call the intellect and the affections into active, healthful exercise. In what way? The child of God will not rest satisfied until he is clothed with the righteousness of Christ and sustained by his life-giving power. Now, get a load of this. I, I accepted Christ. Um, I've accepted his righteousness. Amen. But this is being clothed with it. Watch this. When he sees a weakness in his character, it is not enough to confess it again and again. He must go to work with determination and energy to overcome his defects by doing what? Building up opposite traits of character. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Yes, there it is. He will not shun this work because it's difficult. Untiring energy is required of the Christian, but he's not obliged to work in his own strength. Praise the Lord. Divine power awaits his demand. Everyone who is sincerely striving for victory over self will appropriate the promise, my grace is sufficient for thee. Through the personal effort joined with the prayer of faith, the soul is trained. Day by day, the character grows into the likeness of Christ. It may cost a severe conflict to overcome habits which have been long indulged, but we may triumph through the grace of Christ. He invites us to learn of him. By the way, what was he motivated by? So the habits that he was forming. By the way, you know, Jesus did form habits, just like you and I, Hebrews 5, 8, and 9. Absolutely. The habits he was forming were actually habits that were formed, motivated by the love of God. And I think this is it. All along your journey of heart preparation for our loving Savior's glorious return, remember this. Saw this at the end of the last presentation. Here it is again. When it is in the heart to obey God, when efforts are put forth to this end, Jesus accepts this disposition and effort as man's best service. And he makes up for the deficiency with his what? 
his own divine merit. I praise him for that. How about you? Amen. Yeah. This is kind of fun. I'm going back to my second childhood. I'm going to take questions and comments, though, before we look at that last spirit of prophecy statement. Um, anybody have any questions about this presentation? Anything that came to mind that you would like uh, uh, to answer? Was it clear to you that the, the, the vital ingredient that's got to go along with our prayer and, and daily Bible study and stuff is actually taking some time to behold the Master so that love for self can be transformed into love for God, pure and holy? Does that make sense? I'm just going to read the last half. The first part says, He that keeps his commandments dwells in him and he with him. So that can, as we discovered, a Pharisee can keep the commandments, you know. So we've got to have something, you know, it's love for God, right? That actually is the motivating factor that makes commandment keeping beautiful and precious. Here's the last half of 1 John 3:24, And hereby, this is the way that we know that he abides in us by the spirit which he has given us. How many of you have ever had just a quiet moment as you're studying the word of God and communing with him when all of a sudden just a special assurance comes to your heart that you're on track? Anybody had that? Those are little gifts from God to encourage us to move forward in the growth process we're in. Now I'm going to throw a question back at you. What if I have never experienced one of those little moments of, oh, thank you, Lord. What should I do? Lord, take my heart. It's yours. I choose to serve you, feeling or no feeling, little special surges of peace or not. I choose to, to keep getting to know you better. I'm going to take time in your word to study your life because by beholding, I'm becoming changed. I'm putting myself into a position for the Holy Spirit to transform my heart's motivation. Lord, I don't even know my own heart, but I give you the right to take it and do whatever you've got to do to keep me balanced and just in love with you and in your word. Because if I really love him, am I going to run away from the word? If I'm really motivated by love for him, am I going to throw the Bible out or lay the Bible aside or anything like that? Not at all. We delight in it. I don't know if that answered your question, but that's as close as I can come. Is there a time? Well, let me read it to you. And, and you interpret this. 1 John chapter 5. <clears throat> I'm just going to read the word. God speaks way better than I do. 1 John chapter 5. And we're looking here at um, uh, verses 11 through 13. And this is the record that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that has a Son has... He that hath not the Son of God hath... And these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, 
that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. By the way, in the Greek, if you're... I don't know a lot about my Greek studies, but I do, I've learned a few things. And in the Greek, these verbs are in the present tense. And uh, like I, I, I told someone at the beginning, present tense in the Greek is not just contemporary action. It's something that happens now. But in the Greek, it's talking about a continuous action. It's the most beautiful thing. And so what John is saying here is this. These things have I written unto you. I've written these things to you so that you can know continually. Do you know what the spirit of prophecy definition for love is? You heard this? Um, I'll have to. My memory feeds. I've got it here, but let me just quote it for you. Love is not an emotion or a feeling but the decision of a sanctified. When a person first discovers a fault or a weakness in their character, in the way they're responding to life or people, when you first surrender to Christ and say, Lord Jesus, I want to replace that. We put off the old and put on the new, right? When you first decide to replace that old way of thinking about that person or situation, Replace it with Christ's way of seeing that person. At first, when you first start, it seems like it's an impossibility. That old habit just wants to fight and just keeps coming back at you, coming back at you. And you, it's like, you, you, uh, this isn't working. Because every time I think Christ's thoughts, uh, 30 seconds later, the old habit, the old thought comes back. You can expect that when you first start replacing an old unhealthy habit of thought with Christ's thought. Because what you're doing is the same thing you did in school, physiologically. Um, Years ago, I used to think that 2 plus 2 was 5. Now, how in the world did I get delivered from that bad habit? Well, here's how it happened. I went to school and I discovered the truth. 2 plus 2 is 4. And from that point on, the old habit would come up, 2 plus 2 is 5. And immediately, oh, at that, I wasn't a Christian at that time. But immediately, I said, no, 2 plus 2 is 4. 2 plus 2 is 5. No, 2 plus 2 is 4. 2 plus 2 is... And what was happening, every time I went back to the truth, every time I brought my mind back to the truth, I kept bringing my mind back to the truth, And what was happening is this, beautiful, physiologically, this is is the way it is. Physiologically, because I wasn't using, knowingly choosing to practice the old habit, even though it was popping up, it was getting weaker from disuse. And I was choosing to think two plus two is four. And every time I practiced that and said that, what was happening neurologically is I was forming a new brain map, a new um, pattern of nerve signal transmission, in other words, a new habit. And of course, I kept practicing that. Even the old habit was coming up. Every time I would challenge it, nope. Does that make sense? It's the same way when it comes to emotional issues. You don't quit a habit, you replace it. And when you are replacing it with Christ's habit, guess whose grace is empowering you? The importance of taking some time alone with the Master, with a heart that says, Dear God, take my heart, because I can't give it. It's your property. 
Please keep it pure, for I can't keep it for you. Save me in spite of myself, my weak, unchristlike self, and mold me and fashion me and raise me into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich current of your love can flow through my soul. If I'm approaching, if I'm taking time to study God's word, to study the life of Christ with a desire for him to actually transform my experience, I can assure you that the Spirit of God will not let me rest satisfied with where I'm at. He will not let me rest satisfied. And if I'm in a condition, a Laodicean condition, where I'm not taking that time, I am not. I'm, I'm five minutes of devotional. I'm out the door because I've got, I got a work to do for the general conference. I'm playing this up. God has got his precious ways of allowing circumstances to bring me back to the foot of the cross, back to Jesus, to recognize my weakness, recognize my true condition in his sight. The Spirit of God does a wonderful job of convicting of sin and righteousness and judgment. Amen? And I think we all have to learn how to depend more upon his work rather than being busy about his work as a human being. we got to close. You've been so kind. Closing statement and prayer. To all who are reaching out to feel the guiding hand of God, the moment of greatest discouragement is the time when divine help is nearest. They will look back with thankfulness upon the darkest part of their way. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly. From every temptation and every trial, he will bring them forth with a firmer faith and a richer experience. What do you say? Amen. Amen. I want that for myself. Should we pray? Father, it's only by your spirit working upon our hearts that we are drawn to you to to, to study the life of Christ. And we're just giving you the right to take our hearts this afternoon again and mold us and fashion us, raise us into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich current of your love can flow from you to us and from us to others. Thank you for blessing us and thank you for going with us and keeping us faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.